Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is exciting, isn't it? We are in person, IRL. We are in the same room. It's unbelievable. This is the first one of these we've actually done in person. (laughs) It's strange. We usually do it uh, on Zoom. Yeah. Which is like, you know, what Zoom's like. But we're actually in my in my lounge today because we just interviewed someone and uh, we're we're doing these intros. Should we see if this uh, makes it better? I I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. I hope it makes it better. Um, (laughs) We've got, um, did we say what, what it's called? This is Three in a Bar. It is. And my name's Seb Philpot. And my name's Verity Simmons, still. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we've got a, a very exciting episode for you this week. Uh, please tell us who it is, Verity. <laughs> this week, we have got half doctor, in fact, anaesthetist, half viola player, mm. Dr. Arun Menon. Oh. Yeah. He's, uh, I didn't know you pronounced it like that. Yeah, because I called him consistently Aaron through the whole interview, oh. didn't I? I know. I mean, I mean, he's he's a very relaxed kind of a guy. I don't think he, he didn't might say anything. No, did he? he didn't. It's Arun. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. How long have you known this man for? Uh, since two thousand and four, when right. we did Southbank Symphonia together. And you just learned how to pronounce his oh, name. I know because I got back and uh, Rob said to me, "Why are you saying Aaron? It's Arun." Oh dear. So sorry, Arun. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it was so nice. We went to his. Flat. He's got a cool flat in Camden. Yeah. Town, sorry. Yeah. And um, he's a very fascinating man. He really is. Because, so he is an incredible viola player. Yeah. Um, when I first met him in Southbank, like, honestly, he's just, his technical ability is ridiculous and he's just a beautiful player. But he got very poorly in 2005 and um, had kidney failure and consequently retrained, well, started the training process in 2006 to become a doctor. And he, even now, so where I, 2020, he's still three and a half years off being qualified as a fully-fledged anaesthetist. Yeah, so what, he had had a kidney transplant. Yeah. And he had studied to do maybe a medical degree yeah. at some point, but well, then he decided not to. I think he did science A-levels. I don't even think he got any further than oh, that. Oh, okay, yeah. right, right. Um, But doing this whole kidney thing um, mm-hmm. made him go back into yeah. it. And then yeah. he's, he's, you know, becoming, and becoming, he's working as an, an 
anaesthetist. Easy for you to say. What? Yeah. God, that's really <laughs> difficult. Um, it is. But he's amazing because he does that and he's also, he's actually on trial currently at yeah. uh, uh, Birmingham Royal Ballet, Royal Ballet Symphonia. Yeah. Um, so he has this dual life. He, as I said, is yeah. the world's most niche superhero. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, and... Well, we, uh, we sort of seize the opportunity to ask all the questions we've ever wanted to ask an anaesthetist. I know. And boy, were there many of those. Yeah. Inane questions <laughs> and clever questions. I felt like there were too many good opportunities to make viola jokes as well. And I'm really <laughs> sorry because I do go like full end of the pier entertainer with my terrible jokes. <laughs> so, uh, well, let's, let's go now to our conversation with Arun Menon. <laughs> Us. Oh, pleasure. It's brilliant to see you. I say that now, but yes. Yeah. Yes. Disappointingly, not in any kind of. Oh no, that's going to sound really perverted. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> disappointingly, not in like in any kind of uniform. <laughs> but you know what I yes, mean. You're right. You know what I mean. A hundred percent right, Vess. <laughs> Could you describe what he's wearing? He's wearing a delightful white t-shirt um, and some. Yeah, classic. Yeah. He's wearing red headphones and I can't see anything else, but I am assured that he is wearing trousers. There is more, yes. Good, good, good. <laughs> when was your last shift? Yesterday. Oh. Where where are you actually? Which hospital? Is it King's? No. Royal Free. Just Royal Free. Down oh. the road. Is that the one in Hampstead? Yeah. Yes. Oh. How are things there at the moment, is it? Uh it's okay. Um there is I think there's a bit of apprehension mm. that Things are likely to change. Things are are increasing in busyness. Mm. Um, sort of hearing how things are across North London, it's there's more happening than there was a month or two ago. Oh, really? There's significantly less than there was six months ago. Yeah. But the the direction of travel is definitely upwards. Oh dear, oh dear. So yeah, because which wards are you on? You're not. I'm just doing, so I'm in the operating theatres, doing anaesthetics. Um, So that's more or less the same as it has been. But where it's changing is in the sort of acute medical wards and intensive care. Yeah. Getting busier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So has your work gone up because of COVID or not really? No. Doing planned operations... Um, we've just been trying to get back to where we normally would have been. So in March, April, May, planned operations more or less stopped across the country. Mm. Um, so now we're trying to uh, w- work through the backlog of operations that mm. were due to yeah. be done earlier this year, as well as everything that's been building up over the last six months. Oh, well, um, So it's just trying to... to get back to where we should be normally oh, right. for that um does that mean you're working long shifts or longer shifts or no just no keep... it's just as it was yeah but, um aware that what we're doing isn't eating into the backlog very much mm. yeah does that mean you're out around the wards as well then doing um not at the moment but hopefully soon yeah, yeah. and normally i would be yeah. oh i see is that because you're to some extent shielding yeah so i'm not doing um now what i would have been doing a year ago i'm doing less so right i was shielding from march to june yeah then i was allowed back in early june but in a slightly limited right. role um so 
just doing planned operations. Mm. So the patients I'm seeing have been screened for COVID. They've been asked to isolate for two weeks before coming oh, into okay. hospital. Hey, yeah. Oh, so not the tea run then. <laughs> they've, kept, they've kept you off. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, Aaron, yeah, because does this kind of link up with, and I could have this completely wrong, why you first went into medicine having done years and years of training and then working as a VO flow in the hmm. profession? Yeah, absolutely. Am I right in thinking that that was linked with when you were poorly? Yes, no? yeah, precisely. Yes. Um, so backtrack about 20 years i i applied to study medicine when i left school didn't get in um took a couple of years out then went to music college mm. and um then about seven eight years after that became unwell with kidney failure mm. had a kidney transplant a couple of years after that and during that time working as a freelancer was difficult just because of restrictions yeah. on how times I could travel and distances I could travel. So I started thinking about another sort of work mm. and came back to medicine. And then uh, a couple of years after having a kidney transplant, started medical school. Yeah, yeah. And was that the um, natural career choice that you would have made? Like, did you think, I mean, medicine, that's a hell of a lot of training, isn't it? Yeah, it's not, maybe in hindsight, it wasn't very <laughs> logical, uh, sensible choice. It seemed to make sense at the time. Yeah. Um, but well. not anything I regret, but yeah, it was maybe a, a slightly odd choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, this week people are being being asked to maybe think about retraining. Is it, would it be something you'd, uh, you'd recommend <laughs> sidestepping into? Uh... This is what Fatima should do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's probably among the more <laughs> tin-eared aspects of this year's publicity. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I definitely, to anyone who who's thinking about it, it's it's very worthwhile. Mm. It's very enjoyable. Um, so, what was, what was that first step then? Going from being a very busy and successful freelancer, which we shall come back to absolutely, mm. but um, going from there. Into applying to study medicine, I mean, were there things you had to do, like a kind of conversion course or anything first? Because I'd done, because I was thinking about medicine the first time mm. around, I'd done science A levels. So um, even though I'm sure I didn't remember any of what I'd learned at that mm. point, the medical schools were happy to accept those sort of, whatever that was, 12 years later. Mm. Um, possibly I should have done a conversion course, um, but. I didn't have to. I did a, a little bit of open university study mm. just to kind of remind myself of what I used to know. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't anything they'd they'd required. I oh, just really? I just thought I probably should. Mm. Um, but that that's a kind of oddity of the system that if you've done an A level in it, <laughs> they assume you know something. That's Twelve excellent. years later, right. and I, <laughs> I knew yeah. nothing at all. I mean, I've got I've got an A level French, but. Um... <laughs> I sort of forget that I can even speak anything. I don't think I can really. It's, it does come back to me when I've been drinking, but, but it, it's... Usually in the medium of song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mainly Les Miserables, really. But, uh, but 
on paper, I've got an A-level. You well, have. I've got, got a few. What else? But, um, so what, what else did you do? I'm just trying music. to think what you could go into. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> and um, art. Oh, okay. okay. So, yeah, nothing nothing really. So nothing that this government values at all? No, not at no. all. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> they can't put him in a poster, can they? <laughs> <laughs> um, so how many... How many years, this is kind of generalising here, but mm. what, how many years did it take from you deciding to go into um, medicine and then you actually administering your first like syringe? Of, uh, that's, is, that, is that how it works? Uh, <laughs> I didn't like the stabbing action you did when you did that. For, for the benefit of the listener. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess I started thinking about it in 2006. Yeah. So um, timeline being becoming ill 2005. Mm. Um, still doing some work, but less than I had been. Started thinking about it 2006, wrote to medical schools, um, told them about medical circumstances. They said, come back to us after you've had a transplant mm. because that will just be easier logistically and things will be more stable medically. Mm. 2007 transplant, applied 2007, didn't get in. Applied 2008, got in, started 2009. Right. I think that's timeline. And where are you now in that? So 2009 started, qualified five years later, and then three years of sort of general training, uh, starting anaesthetic training four years ago. Mm. So I'm about halfway, th- I'm three and a half years into seven years of anaesthetic training. Wow. Uh, so to actually answer your question, I, first idea, 2006, first anaesthetic would have been given 2016. Wow, and, and you're yeah. still not finished your training at all? That's right. Yeah. So it'll be another, what, three and a half years? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. My goodness that, me. That's incredible. How do you, after having trained so long to, to become a musician, how do you then just go back to, to becoming a student again and just and just allowing yourself to, to feel like you don't really know anything and then just, just slowly do that incredibly long period of education again. In some ways it was hard trying to sit in front of a book and well, in my case, if I sit in front of a book, I don't take stuff in particularly. So then re-remembering how, how to actively learn yeah. instead of listening to things, watching things, writing things out, working out again how to do that stuff that I hadn't had to do since A-level. But also I think there's probably some transferable skills that if you can lock yourself in a room and practice an instrument for Mm. four hours a day, you have a certain amount of ability for self-directed study and self-motivation and pushing on when you really don't feel like it. Mm. So I think... Having done that in music mm. helped a lot. Yeah, I guess though you, you don't get those moments of gratification like you would learning music. You you do like exams or you do concerts every term or that yeah. kind of thing. You don't really see that. You don't. Get, I guess you don't get that when you're training to be an anaesthetist. Um, you get it in the UK. There's there are still exams. Um, yeah. So there's still right, that of kind of um, push to. Yeah, yeah. To, so you feel like you're progressing. Work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I guess instead of the concerts, the gratification comes from clinical experiences that mm. go well. That yeah, yeah. thing, because of things you've learned to do, that someone else has shown you, 
how to do and supervised you in, you can then do something that that makes things go better for the patient than yeah. they would have otherwise. So I think you still get that feedback. It's just yeah. in a slightly different way. Yeah. Did you find that things like memory work, having, because obviously you'd have done loads of, in your training, lots of memorizing music and things. Do you think that kind of skill, has that been helpful for you, memorizing facts? I imagine there's a huge amount of facts that you're having to learn. I think probably in some way, yeah. It's probably something about sort of looking at a page of music and chunking it up and thinking, this bit is fine. This is going to be difficult. I'm going to spend more time on this. Yeah. There's a bit. I'm sure that helped in a in a way. I think also just the the process of breaking down a physical skill, probably more in anesthetics than than some yeah. other areas. Um, that if you're if you're doing a procedure that takes five or ten minutes, you won't remember it as as a whole sequence. But if you break it down into a number of steps, and if you practice the the first ten second step yeah. a few times in a row in the way that you would. Um, breaking down a difficult passage in a piece. Yeah. I think that works, yeah. So why anaesthesia? <laughs> uh, it's, it's not like the glory boys, like the, the brain surgeons, is it? Or you, yeah. Is it? <laughs> Depends who you ask. But <laughs> yeah, there's maybe a, you could probably say there's some sort of similarity to the role of the viola. Um, that hmm, if you ask me other players semi jokes in there aren't there <laughs> none of which need to be explored um yeah if you ask any self-respecting viola player they know that that's the heart of a string quartet um, <laughs> the most important instrument in an orchestra and uh, go on you keep telling yourself that that's all um, right <laughs> ignoring the laughter um there's an element to that in anaesthesia as well. It's not the obviously most glamorous aspect of the whole process always. <laughs> but what drew you to it? Why did you think I, I want to put people to sleep? <laughs> Again, and, viola flag. <laughs> and wake them up. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other part of it. You forgot that's yes, quite whoops. important. <laughs> yeah, just just doing one bit is frowned upon. Um <laughs> It's quite fun. It's sort of a combination of a very practical specialty, but it's there's also quite a lot of science and sort of geekiness underpinning it, which is quite fun. Once you understand the science, you can play around with how you apply it, with what drugs you use, of how much you use of them, when yeah. you use it. And it's quite good for those of a short concentration span because <laughs> it's it's not like, say, cardiology where you give someone a drug and... 10 years later, they've avoided a heart attack. Um, yeah. Rather, you give them a drug and 30 seconds later, their blood pressure is improved. So yeah. you don't have to wait very long to see the effects of what you do. Um, oh, yeah. Hopefully good, but regardless, you know, um, which is quite nice. Yeah. And there's like a creative element, I guess. You can choose which particular drugs to use and yeah. doses. And yeah, absolutely. You see the patient in the morning, you find out about them and you try and work out what's the the safest and the best anesthetic you can give to that particular person mm. um there's also i appreciably during the operation um a lot of the time there's not much contact with the patient but before and after you're you're seeing them and trying to connect with them yeah. and um establish several a relationship and mm. um trust with them in quite a short period of time yeah, yeah. Um, and when you when you've administered the drug and you're sort of you, you talk to them and sort of put them in a sort of my headspace like a 
imagine you're on a beach or something. Do you do that kind of stuff? Or? A lot of people do. I do sometimes. But certainly, I think how you talk to people yeah. um, makes a big difference. Um, just trying to think to the anaesthetics I've received. I don't actually remember much about the anaesthetist. Right. Shockingly. <laughs> um, but I suspect how you say it probably matters more than what you say. Yeah. Um, yeah. How long is it? Basically, well, generally speaking, from when you've administered the anaesthetic to when the people go under, how long does it take? Ten seconds. Is it blimey? Well, you, often. Um, in certain circumstances, you might deliberately make it a bit longer just to go very slowly and carefully. Right. Um, but a lot of the time it's very, very quick. And then the mm. waking up process, is it to do with how much you administer in the first place? As to when they will come round or... So most of the time what you're doing is giving them a relatively big dose to go to sleep. Yeah. And then a small continual dose to stay asleep. Yeah. Um, so then when you stop giving that, they will gradually Ready? wake up. Okay. So as the surgery stops, you stop giving the anaesthetic. Yeah. And over the next 10, 15, 20 minutes, they'll gradually wake up. And are you there then? Yeah. Right. So you're there the whole time until they're breathing for themselves um, they'll be interacting with you to some extent mm. but they probably won't remember much of anything that you talk about yeah uh, for the next hour or two there i bet you say some terrible things <laughs> then <laughs> i'm sure you don't Aaron. i know no. you're an absolute <laughs> professional sorry no. <laughs> it, but when you when you, you're doing it do, do you do you just think of it as a as a as a job you just do it or do, is there an element where you sort of think about the Sort of, sort of bigger ideas of like consciousness and time and that kind of thing because like from their perspective they just suddenly they wake up straight away um and for you you're you're, ex you're experiencing your, your life as you're going dealing with other people or whatever but i don't know is that is that something you, you ever think about that sort of that side of things or occasionally it's yeah. sort of made easier in that we don't really understand how general anesthetics work oh so <laughs> we know that they do um but how they work and we don't i don't think we know very well what consciousness is mm. so then if you don't know what consciousness is it's quite difficult to say what is it that will stop that or undo it temporarily yeah. and with very little ongoing effect afterwards yeah i think we just don't know that and do people no. say to you do you find out things about what they've experienced do they talk to you about their experiences because i guess there must be a strange state when you're in between when you're just coming back up again I don't know. I'm just imagining the things when people talk about seeing light or yeah. tunnels and stuff. Do people talk to you about that? Occasionally, yeah. So the period as you go off to sleep and as you wake up, there can be sort of variable amounts of amounts that people experience and that they then also recall afterwards. Mm. The actual period where you're deeply asleep, time doesn't really exist yeah. and, and you don't dream. So you don't have that when you're actually sleeping. There's some sense of whether you've slept for a long time or a little bit of time. Yeah. That doesn't exist at all. Mm. So a, a 10 minute operation feels like a 12 hour operation. Yeah, um, weird. Give people an idea of what they might expect, particularly if they're anxious or, mm. um, and or if it's their first anaesthetic, so they have nothing to compare it to. Mm. Um, because I think if you don't explain to people what they might experience, you, there'll be a small proportion of people who have that experience of waking up, of yeah. seeing, seeing light, seeing people talking to them, and either at the time or later thinking that was an experience of 
waking up during the operation. Oh, I see. Which we know is exceptionally rare, but that 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 experience of seeing some things which don't quite make sense is very common. Yeah. And if you don't explain the difference between those two things, that can be quite confusing, quite mm. distressing. Yeah, that oh. sort of experience of like losing time and, and not it's very similar to like when I play Dream of Gerontius, <laughs> how I feel at the end. I need to talk to somebody about my experiences. Where did that time go? <laughs> yeah. What's that other long one? Uh, uh, Elijah. Elijah. Oh, Elijah. Yeah. <laughs> so Both similar. of which seem like they don't last Nobody so much, knows how it works. Hours. Yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> like a 12 hour performance in 10 minutes. <laughs> I find sometimes time can shift if I'm if I've made feel like I've made a mistake in a gig and it's like you get a rush of adrenaline Mm. and it's like it's like when you had a car crash or something you remember every split second yeah um so it's suddenly it's like the time's gone slow yeah it's a really weird feeling I don't know is that sort of related somehow to I mean to like administering some some sort of drugs well I'm sure the that part of it is adrenaline which yeah. then sort of changes how you how you remember stuff. It changes change what you remember about that. But also, you know, if you make one tiny mistake, you don't remember everything that you did well before and after that as well, because yeah. your, your memory is incredibly selective then. Yeah. Um, and then if you listen to the concert a week later, the me- the mistake wasn't as bad as you thought. No, Things around not. it were much better than you ever remembered. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if you hadn't heard that, you w- you would think of it completely differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I find if I'm a bit hungover as well, it can I can find my timing a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> is that related? <laughs> it's got to be, hasn't it? Surely it is. I'm just asking all my all my questions while, while, Get them while out. Doctor's okay. present. Yeah, I know. I've got loads of ailments I want to talk to Aaron about <laughs> later, but I won't. I'll do them off air. <laughs> I've got something on my back. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got this boil. <laughs> Happy to refer you to someone else. I brought photos from friends as well. They're all one. <laughs> they wanted to change Aaron, you just made life a lot harder for yourself, though, didn't you? Because not only were you training as a doctor and now an anaesthetist, but you were you are still playing, playing professionally, and you were, weren't you, through the entire time? On and off, yeah, um, yeah. I guess so. Through med school, I was working part time. Um, but just could... to just to say, working part time, like. At the Royal Opera House, <laughs> at Birmingham Royal Ballet, at some pretty serious yeah. places. When, really when they would have me, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess those are the places that I'd been working before med school and mm. they, they knew what I was doing and were still have, happy to have me on the extra list. Um, How did you find that, though, the switch in maybe studying in the daytime and then going in and doing an evening show? Was it hard to flip between the two mentally? I don't think not all that hard because it was it just felt like a different version of what I'd been doing before. Mm. So previous to that, I might have been teaching during the day and playing in the evening or doing quartet rehearsal in the day and orchestra um, later on. Mm. So I think most of us have portfolio careers of some description. Yeah. This was just... A different mix than I'd had before. Just um, a more impressive one. <laughs> <laughs> but if anything, it felt it felt less not less stressful. But I felt like I didn't. I had at least as much time mm. as I did when I was trying to combine, say, South Bank and chamber music and teaching. Yeah. Um, where it felt like there were 
really no hours in the day at all. Um, so yeah, it, it it seemed to work. And so you, you're 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 sort of playing uh, as as like principal viola guest guest principal a lot of the times. Been or? doing a bit of work. Um, with I'm that, trying, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, um, that's. I, awesome. I just find it inter- interesting because I'm a trumpet player, so I'm. <laughs> You know, sit in sit in a row of you know two or three people, <coughs> and um, uh, just what, what what it's like to sit at the front of of loads of of a, loads of desks of viola and, and and lead people, especially as a guest uh, principal as well. What that's like, the sort of dynamics of it's it's nice. It's yeah, I think there's a kind of not an edge, but there's a an added pressure of being a guest in someone else's mm. workplace in in their group. But also being involved in a leading role as well, that you feel a, an additional pressure to try and do it well, to yeah. justify your place there. I think I've always felt that if I was going in as a as an extra, as a guest, but particularly if they know I do something else, there's a feels like there's an onus to prove that I'm taking that seriously as well. Yeah, oh, right. Um, sure. Which I, I absolutely do, but I don't want them to think that I, I'm not taking it as seriously as I did before because mm. it's not the only thing I do. Yeah. yeah. And do you feel like when you're going in, um, so say on trial mm. as a principal player, how much do you feel like you can impose your own ideas on the section? Impose isn't really the right word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean. I guess it, it's a balance. Yeah. Um, because if you're not bringing any of your own ideas, then what are you offering them? Why, yeah. why should they consider appointing you mm. if you don't have anything to say? But if you don't listen to the section that you're, pl- you're playing in as well as leading, then you won't be a particularly good principal. So that's that's an interesting balance. It's usually one that kind of evolves over over the patch of work and and over a period of time mm. being there. I think it probably feels a little easier having worked in an orchestra for a while before that. Yeah. Having an idea of how they like to do things and, and what work, seeing other people... Um, doing that job and seeing what works yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah it's like so yeah you're constantly kind of second guessing things so i guess you want to try i guess if you're on trial i've never been on trial anywhere but uh i feel like i, I thought you were I, no oh. no well, nev- never no i'm not very good at auditions uh no, not and i'm not very good at trumpet uh no <laughs> oh, uh, <come> now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no um i just i always think if i if i was on trial somewhere you've just got to go in and just just be yourself and just mm. do because because if you didn't get it, then you can just be like, well, that's fine. That's because that's just, I was being myself. And yeah. that's, that's what I would end up doing anyway. Um, and if you're, if you go in and you, you were just trying to sound like someone else and you didn't get it, then you'd just be constantly like, oh, I wish I'd just done what I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, yeah, it's just interesting hearing someone's um, experiences from, from being on trial. Yeah. And, uh, so what, you're currently on trial for somewhere now. Is that right? Birmingham? Is that right? I think so. Think so. um, oh yeah, it, it, yeah, that's yeah. It's right. sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the the trial process is is odd that you're <laughs> I mean, sort of yeah. There's not a whole lot to go in and, no. and do, is there? Yeah. At the moment, there, unfortunately. No. But and even outside COVID, so you'll do some work, and then that will stop. Hmm. And then I, I've been previously been on trial somewhere, done some work, not heard anything for two years. Um, and I and just emailed them to say what's up and said, yeah, you you haven't been on trial for a year and a half. Oh, oh and they just no. don't tell you. No. Oh, that's awful. I, I'm sure they 
they'd written or they thought they'd written, but oh. um, I I didn't know about it. That's so I, I, bad. You sort of make assumptions that if you, <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah. you know, if you haven't heard from somewhere in two years, clearly the job selection process isn't going well. <laughs> but it's it's still quite nice to know. Yeah, um, exactly. Which is which is not the case here, um, but. No, you've got to um, get in as much nice stuff about them as possible now, Aaron. <laughs> Start thinking, mate. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I'm sure every, anyone who's been on trial during COVID, it's been a an additionally bizarre experience. Yeah. Also, like the audition process, because like you were just saying earlier, I'm also I'm terrible at auditioning. Really, really bad. Yeah. And I've done, you know, really put in the preparation in the past and just got there and, you know something will go wrong and it's really frustrating but mm. but how how did you find that when you were doing the audition for this job in particular when you were working at the same time did you feel more or less pressure probably in a way both mm. um that it was i had to think carefully about how to find the time to do things mm. and it was strange not it was 11 years since i'd last done an audition oh wow anything so mm. and in the past when things have gone well audition wise it'd be when I'd done sort of eight nine auditions in a year yeah. um every couple of months something was happening and you sort of build up a momentum of practice and a familiarity with how you deal with the audition process which yeah. which usually not always makes it easier um so there wasn't that to help things along but in a way it felt it felt more relaxed mm. I'm not sure quite sure why uh, maybe is it less of a less of a this is the center of possibly yeah wow. um perhaps also playing to people that i knew and had worked with yeah. is it feels like a bit more of a performance yeah um i i'd been doing a few recitals earlier in the year so i was playing things that i had played recently yeah um which helped what did you do which concerto uh, that was, um, so it was a completely free choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'd, um, the, one of the pianists I work with, uh, Griff, who was previously a oh, the viola viola player, player Griff. in the Opera House. He's great. He loves, he loves, um, buses and trains, doesn't he? Trains and buses. Oh, loves absolutely. Them. Yeah. I remember seeing him in Hong Kong out when Rob was out there with the ballet and, uh, <laughs> He was out with his notebook looking at the trams. It was lovely. Anyway, oh, sorry, side note there. Carry on. Important <laughs> side note, yeah. So yeah. after um, buses and trains, Griff's interest include <laughs> yeah. viola and piano. So he, he was, I think he played in Royal Ballet Symphonia for 38 years. Yeah. Um, but he was also a pianist at Guildhall um, in addition to studying viola there, and he still plays. Mm. So we've done couple of recitals a year mm. um for the last few years and we'd been playing um one of the things we played was uh, a viola sonata that Pagnini wrote oh wow um which is quite a fun piece it's quite I th- showy I imagine yeah I think it's quite a fun piece Griff thinks it's rubbish and, <laughs> and we've agreed to not play it again for a while <laughs> <laughs> um but so I played that recently with him um I, I mean you've done uh, competitions in the past have been successful. The, so you, did, um, you won the Royal Overseas League? Yeah, so people will generally put down the one thing that they've done well on their biography. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. So there was one competition <laughs> that went well, yeah. Yeah. I'd forgotten that was on there, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's quite a big one though, right, the Royal Overseas League? Is that the one where you go around the world playing in all around the Commonwealth and stuff, is that right? 
So there's the main Royal Overseas League competition. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a kind of, uh, I say this without um, being <laughs> insulting at all. Though. There's also... Turn it over, don't no, no. it look. <laughs> there's, there's also a sort of smaller viola competition oh, attached right. to it. Is that spelled Royal Overseas with the word C spelled S-E-E-S? <laughs> no comment. Um, so that, that, I, I, I advertising on his biography. Yeah, he's, he's, he's oversold himself. He yeah. really has. <laughs> Maybe, but it's just about you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I I got a prize in the the smaller competition there. Um, I definitely didn't win the main competition. Oh, oh but well, still, still good though, it well is it is good. Well done. And I was saying to Seb before we got here, you are a phenomenal viola player. So I just wonder if you hadn't have become ill, do you think you would have carried on freelancing? maybe auditioning, trying for a job? Or did you always have it in your mind that maybe you'd move into another career? I don't think... I, I don't think I would have changed direction. Mm. Um, I think I still would have found other things interesting. I would have wanted to to explore the other things I found interesting in some way or other. I think mm. when we were in South Bank, one of the other cellists was doing a maths degree in his spare oh, time. yeah, I forgot that. Right. And that's... It was talking to him about it that kind of got me thinking about just and just some other academic interest, mm. um, but not not as an alternative career, just as yeah. something else to do um, to sort of keep that side of myself busy. Mm. Um, but no, I don't think I would have changed from music had it not been from that. Mm. Was that hard? Was it was it a difficult plunge to take going into that? And did you feel sad about it? I think so. I th it was clear that there was work I could do, um, yeah. but it I couldn't see at the time how I would either do the mix of work or the amount of work or at the level that I wanted to or that I wanted to get to, Yeah. Um, even if I wasn't there yet. I didn't see that trajectory being possible. Mm. Um, and so it felt like it was a choice either between doing less than I wanted um, in music or doing something else. Yeah. And that that was the, the sort of rationale. Yeah. Rather than not wanting to do music, it was never that at all. And when you were receiving treatment and you were having the transplant, were you playing at the same time? I do remember seeing you about with your viola at yeah. that time. I was, I was still doing some music work. Yeah. Um, so became ill later in 2005. Mm. So I, at that point... I think I was still doing a trial with CBSO. Mm. It was quite tricky to... So I was having dialysis in London three mm. times a week and then arranging travel to Birmingham around that. Yeah. Oh. Um, so that was one of the limiting factors that yeah. it wasn't possible to do. So any work I was offered touring abroad, I couldn't do. Yeah. And anything travelling around the country had to be within the limitations of being in London yeah. on the evenings of uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday each evening. Right. So I was, I would see you and other people about at some work, but probably yeah. less than I would have been able to do otherwise. Mm. Yeah. Did it come out of the blue? Mm. Yeah. So I guess there was sort of a month or two of just feeling generally unwell mm. um, before diagnosis, but nothing before that and nothing particularly specific which is just the 
that's nature the nature of, of kidney disease. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Then how long did you have to wait until you had a transplant? So I was relatively lucky. I think I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but at that time the average wait was between two and four years, mm. and mine was a year and a half. Oh. So much better than it could be. I mean, I say great. Obviously, no part of it is great, but, yeah. But it's still, still, I was one of the lucky ones for sure. Yeah. Mm. So that whole time you're going for dialysis, and then once you've had the transplant, then you're basically fine? or or Yeah, the the first few months were a little rocky. Um, So there's surgery, a few weeks to get over that. The other side of it is taking immunosuppressant medicines, which start quite intense quite an intense immunosuppressive regime and then that decreases over the months but you remain on some sort of immunosuppression for the whole of the time that you have that transplant so that continues now oh, mm. no, okay, right. yeah. but so compared to the restrictions of dialysis it's a world yeah. away from that oh, I bet, yeah yeah absolutely um and when you were coming back to playing after the tra- after the um transplant hmm. did it take a while to get back into the swing of things, or were you just so delighted to be going again? The actual sort of nuts and bolts of playing viola mm. felt fine. Uh, What's if, a viola, in it? <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> How hard can it be? Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it was still a strange feeling. It was that was the longest I'd not played. Yeah. Um, ever, and that was probably only a few weeks. Yeah. Um, that took a little while. I think what felt more strange was performing it again after that because that was yeah. probably a period of two or three months that I hadn't played um, in any sort of concert. And that that took longer to get used to than just the technical stuff. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I've heard about people, I don't know if it's related at all, but <laughs> but you, you might be around brain surgeons and that, um, that. I've heard about people playing their instruments during brain surgery. Yeah. That's... Well, why are they doing it? Are they just, is that just to make sure they've not cut the wrong bit off? Or? Yes. It, that is that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> well, I mean, what happens, though, if they do? So... Can't put it back together, can you? So what you can do... Let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there are certain... Uh, the majority of brain surgery is done with people asleep. Um, but if you want... If you're trying to remove a tumour mm. that is close to... Uh, a specific area that can be difficult so we we have a rough idea of what part of the brain does what so a certain area um just about there will control your hand movement 
Yeah, you can say that just yeah. You can say in you it will be about there, mm. give or take a few centimeters. Yeah. Um, which for just sort of general knowledge is is fine. But if you if we say there's a tumor here and there's an area of interest uh, one centimeter away, yeah, then the margins become much finer. Um, so at that point, it sometimes is worth doing the operation with someone awake, mm. not feeling any pain. Wow. But oh so God. that you can, um, what you can do is you might just get a, a, a probe with a tiny gentle electric current, gently stimulate an area and see if it affects their movement. Okay. And if it does, then you know you're in the area that, that controls that sort of movement. Okay, right. Um, and the things that they tend to do it for are where you're, where you have to, treat someone who's got a tumor in the area that controls say speech so you'll be talking to them through the operation yeah and you'll be seeing does their speech pattern change does their ability to find words change yeah. and if it does you know you're in an area that you should try to avoid doing anything to mm. okay right so it's just a way of really localizing and saying very specifically this is an area that we don't want to do anything to in a way that you can't do if they're asleep mm. And then to if they actually then start um, cutting into that part of the brain, you, you come in and, and anesthetize a very specific part so that... No? No. So um, the brain itself feels no pain at all. Ah, right. So um, the way it's normally done, it, you can either have the person asleep while you make the head numb and expose the part of the brain that you're interested in, or they'll be sedated during that so either way they're not feeling any pain um in the bits that could be painful and right. then the operation takes part on it, it takes place just on the brain itself which doesn't feel pain oh, anyway i didn't know that it's amazing no, <laughs> I didn't. you would have like cut into the skull yeah. so you would have already done some anesthetic around that area yeah so yeah they it can different surgeons do it differently so sometimes you'll start asleep um remove part of the skull asleep yeah make everything around it completely numb yeah and then wake them up or you can do that with them um not asleep but sedated but regardless you're you're still numbing everything wow um so there are different ways <laughs> 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 now I'm meanwhile going, the patients I'm just like putting some rosin on their bows like. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> incredible it is incredible how long's the longest operation you've been in so far uh, probably, I'd guess, 11, 12 hours. Wow. Um, there are, there are probably some places doing really major surgery that would go longer than that, but what not What kind of to. thing are you de dealing with for like 11, 12 hours? So it can be brain or spine surgery. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, so where I work now, the Royal Free yeah. does, um, complex operations for cancers around the liver mm. and some of those operations if they if they they may involve more than one type of surgeon so you may have liver surgeons and vascular surgeons and so there'll be one part of the operation that deals with one and then wow that that will make space for the next surgeon to be able to do their part um so those operations can be quite long as well absolutely amazing isn't it yeah must and, be fascinating and at yeah. times i guess you get called suddenly you've got to go and do something very quickly a different part of the hospital or something yeah, yeah. so one of the 
jobs of anaesthetists is is um, looking after people who are having planned operations. There are also emergency operations and anaesthetics is often involved in looking after people who suddenly become unwell in other parts of the hospital as mm. well. So, mm. um, and, and in intensive care is one of those areas that, at least in this country, a lot of intensive care doctors are also anaesthetists um, just because oh. of their background and similarity of skills. Um, so we end up spending quite a bit of time there as well. So are you... Would you specialise in that area too then? Normally I do. Currently, um, because of COVID, I haven't been allowed to. Mm. Um, Just sort of in the process of trying to work out how much I can do. So it may be that I'll be allowed to do obstetrics, Mm. um, so labour epidurals and caesareans, where the the COVID risk is generally lower yeah. Um, and also generally you're not having to put people to sleep, um, which is if someone does have COVID, that's the riskier part. Okay. Um, so I suspect I'll be more likely to be allowed to do obstetrics than I will intensive care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that... Are you missing non- it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's an ongoing negotiation. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um. I was wondering about um, music and how how it it can be used to to relax patients, um, or you know, even just the thing like people bringing in an album they want to have on while they're receiving treatment, or, uh, or if they're having an MRI scan or, or something, you can you can sort of choose your own music. But yeah. but there are studies of, of people. I read something today about um, people ha- being just as relaxed from listening to a certain piece of music than they would be from maybe getting some drugs. That's very vague. vague bit of, <laughs> but, but, but um, yeah, I mean, is there, any, is there some science to that that you've experienced? Or? Not that I have experience of directly, but it's something I've, I've wondered about, i found interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that people have looked at this is to play music through headphones to people during their operation mm. and afterwards and compare whether... So, they're looking at pain control and saying, do people need fewer painkillers and therefore mm. have fewer side effects after their operation? Yeah. If you play the music during their operation. And there's sort of, there's small studies that suggest there might be an effect. Um, difficult to know without doing a big study that yeah. looks at a lot of people, but I find that interesting. Yeah. I'd like to look at more. I I was reading about it saying about the, it lights up the emotional area of the brain, the reward system and the Mm. the pleasure pathways. It's quite interesting. It is pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if some more than others, same as, you know, whether you're led by the right or left side of Mm. your brain, whether that's again, something that is affected depending on on you personally. Yeah. Do many of the surgeons you work with use music while they're, Performing surgery. There, there are a few that definitely. There are some that that don't like it at all. Yeah. Um, that some that don't like any noise or, or sound in theatres. Yeah. Um, lots that are very relaxed and don't mind either way. And there are a few that um, actively like having music there. What yeah. do they choose? Uh, it's slash metal. Occasionally, um, there's quite <laughs> a lot of soft rock. Um, <laughs> Lastly, Dan. <laughs> yeah. So one of the scrub nurses put on some opera last week. Oh, um, nice. so you never quite know. Well, that's very lovely. Um, 
Have you been so bold as to suggest anything as well? We had someone who was having eye surgery last week who um, came in with very high blood pressure and so we we put them in a dark room next to the operating theatre. Yeah. Uh, I think I was left in charge for once. So yeah. he had a little bit of a Mozart quintet. Oh, that's um, nice. That's good. His blood pressure was just as high afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I put but on a viola tried. concerto, his blood pressure went through the roof. <laughs> yeah. There was a reason we didn't choose that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, is, there, uh, is there an orchestra at the Royal Free? Because um, lots of musicians, there is a crossover, isn't there? Lots of doctor oh, musicians. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's one in the Royal Free currently. There are a few in London, yeah. though. So there's one that I've played in for the last couple of years. Oh. Meet once a year, do a, a sort of charity concert at Cadogan Hall. Uh, it's conducted by a surgeon that I worked with at uh, Whips Cross. Oh, really? Um, and he's run that for the last 10 years, um, supporting a, a charity. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, the, our last concert was March um, yeah. earlier this year. It's not clear whether we'll be able we'll to be do back. that. Um, but we're still, there's a, a group of us that play chamber music every Aww. so often. So we we ha- had a playthrough a few weeks ago and we're going to, uh, just playing some string sextets, yeah. doing a bit more later next month as well. Cool. Do you just flounce in and own it? <laughs> As a viola play. That's <laughs> <laughs> the one time, maybe. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> hey, I wanted to ask you about um, if you were to stereotype, because I know we've talked about this before, and I wonder if you're going to be as free to talk about this on air. <laughs> Let's see. Um, if you were to stereotype the different types of surgeons, doctors, brain surgeons, give me a few key areas where you can give me a good stereotype. I like and respect all of my <laughs> colleagues. Oh, come on. Equally. They're not going to be listening to this, Aaron. I mean, maybe they'll listen to your episode. I hope not. Uh, <laughs> remind me, what have I said previously? Well, you were saying maybe that brain surgeons perhaps uh, displayed a little attitude, shall we say, and maybe drove fast cars and were selective about what they did. Is that fair? The stereotype may exist. Um, <laughs> As, so during COVID, I was as working at a neurosurgical centre. Um, the, <laughs> there's the, all of the stereotypes exist f- for a reason, um, <laughs> as they do around the orchestra. Right. Um, but you also see a spectrum um, of people within that. Okay. Uh, but I guess in medicine, as in music, there are certain. The areas, each area will select a certain type of person yeah. that is attracted to that, that's prepared to put up with the the downsides of that, and that they will be shaped by that, right? That, by the pressures of that environment as well. Mm. So even if you don't start off fitting the stereotype, you might fit it a little more closely after mm. after being in it for thirty <laughs> years. Okay, so anaesthetists. So. The stereotype of anaesthetists um, is probably that we're a little OCD. Okay. Um, that everything should be just so. Um, of of liking to ask why about everything. <laughs> right. Um, and as soon as a 
junior doctor or a medical student walks into your theatre of kind of quizzing them about everything you can, which is exactly what I was doing yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it's it's all true um, (laughs) to some extent or another. Yeah. Um, An aversion to surgeons um, (laughs) is is the stereotype. Um, But actually... There's something very nice, a bit like playing quartets with the same people. There's something nice about doing an operation that you've done before with the same surgeon, with the same anaesthetic nurse, mm. and the same theatre nurses, that the way it kind of clicks um, is very satisfying that you do the whole thing better and in less time getting a better outcome for the patient because you've worked together, you yeah. know how each other, yeah. what each other likes um, and how to get the best out of those people. Um, I think there's there's definitely something to that. Yeah. Yeah, lots of similarities with, with orchestral playing. Or, yeah. Completely. Or any, yeah. anything, really. You sort of, you can actually fit into those roles. And, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so who are like, the, are they like the superstar, like like the, the Gareth Bales of, of like hospital uh, <laughs> doctors and that, that, that come in and they just, they get paid the most money and they just, Captain Flashheart. Exactly. Yeah, Flash Heart. Flash Heart, exactly. Flash by name, Flash by nature. Yeah. Hi, here I <laughs> am. Woof. Yeah. I haven't heard anyone say woof in operating theatres for a long time. Uh, that's, that's a shame. Um, you can have that one, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, not just yet. Um, I think probably lots of people, if you ask them, think that that's them. Right. Um, which... <laughs> Which probably is that that will become a problem at some point if everyone thinks <laughs> yeah. that yeah. they're the superstar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which you you'll occasionally see that when you ha- have teams interacting with each other, particularly if they don't often come into contact with each other very often. Yeah. Um, I think the really good ones there's a there has to be an element of ego to say I'm good enough to do this procedure with all of its risk um, and I'm the right person to be doing it. It shouldn't be someone else. Mm. Um, But they also have the humility to be aware of what other people can contribute, to be aware of their fallibility. Mm. Um, So if you see someone who only has the the flash heart mentality, then that's (laughs) probably the time to worry. (laughs) Stay clear. Yeah. (laughs) Especially if they're about to pump you full of drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Back off. <laughs> um, oh, can I, can I tell you a really horrible story that I might edit out? Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I had Theo, after, the, after he arrived, I went back onto the ward and I was there for flipping ages and I just wanted to get out because he'd, uh, my water had broken really early. I had to stay mm. in the hospital for an extra 24 hours. It was so hot in there. And there were screaming kids, uh, you know, everywhere. And I just really wanted to get him home and he was fine. Yeah. And anyway... They keep coming round and, you know, you have to sort of show them what's happened. And they come and so various people come in and I just get into the routine. I was like, here you go. Have a look. Great. Thanks. See you in a few hours. And uh, and some guy <laughs> came in and pulled the <laughs> curtains back and I went, OK, then. So he went, no, I've just come to change your bin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You're not editing that out. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think that's probably scarred him for life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed near the Homerton anymore. <laughs> They've got my photo up. I've seen a poster with you. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. The, the gas that that like that is that nitrous oxide. Yeah. Now so that fifty percent nitrous oxide, fifty percent oxygen. Oxygen. Okay. Now do you get um, do you get people come and try and nick it? Like, do you get, is that a thing? Like, no, I've never seen it. You won't get in, just, Seb. Just, no, you're not going to get in. They've <laughs> got you covered. I think this is a flawed business. Model, yeah. <laughs> um, no, so it comes in a, a quite large, heavy cylinder. Yeah. Uh, so rather than the little things you see by the side of the road, oh, yeah. this is something that probably weighs about 100 kilos. Okay. Because <laughs> in, in Breaking Bad, because uh, <laughs> I'm watching at the moment, <laughs> they steal a load of methylamine off of the train. Uh <laughs> And they do it without anyone noticing. It's really cool. But um, they replace it with water. But maybe there might be people doing that. Is it? I don't know how, how easy it is to steal. I yeah. just think this is amazing that you are referring to Breaking Bad. It's better than me referring to Diagnosis Murder. So, Both like, documentary. Yeah. Who plays the clarinet on your, on your ward at any given moment? <laughs> Does Dick Van Dyke play the clarinet? Yeah, he takes place in the opening credits. <laughs> Don't you remember? Surely you had to watch this in your training. Probably, I was probably. No. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was the different board. Yours yeah, was right. uh, Doogie Howser. The rubbish one, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. Right. Now, if I do see people walking out of the obstetric unit carrying a bunch of balloons, I'll be very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't need to bring the balloons to hospital to tell them. Yeah. <laughs> They're for Granny. <laughs> My uncle's a cyclist. He likes carrying air around. Is that what cyclists use them as well, right? The little canisters. You see them on the side of the road. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's from teenagers, isn't it? Is it teenagers? Is it for cyclists? <laughs> I've seen them in bicycle shops. Yeah, they, I, I think it's like for oh. an emergency bit of air. Oh, is it? run out. I see them on the edge of Epping Forest. <laughs> now, I don't think that's to do with cyclists. No, as far as I probably know. not. <laughs> do you get any doctor perks? Like, do you get free stuff? Maybe free stuff if you work for the NHS? Uh, generally, free burgers, no. Nitrous oxide. Free nitrous oxide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You take home as much of that as you like. Yeah, and his balloons. <laughs> <laughs> no, those, those were just... Free burgers, you get? balloons. Um, <laughs> surely, surely some free burgers somewhere. Uh, I'm sure I saw something about if you clap for the NHS um, here's some free burgers <laughs> I thought I saw that and Costa <laughs> don't Costa give you like a free coffee if you go in there now uh, during the height of Covid uh, certainly some of the places were doing free coffee not now though no Ugh, nah, cupping's over <laughs> yeah, yeah. coffee's over <laughs> can't even get the stuff you need probably I assume yeah I mean and do you see this on a daily basis How how is it for you working Within the NHS at the moment, it, I do you have what you need? Uh, I do. Where you I am, do. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, good. And I, I guess, working in operating theatres, intensive care, is it's theoretically in the higher end of risk mm. because you're quite close to patients and you're uh, doing what they describe as aerosol generating procedures so mm. putting breathing tubes into people but you're also doing it with maximal protection yeah um and i've i've been fortunate i haven't worked at any point where there wasn't enough ppe mm, but actually the risk is probably more for people working on general wards working in general practice where you're seeing a lot of people you don't know what their risk of exposure yeah. is and 
they have less PPE than we do. So mm. talking to GP friends who are working in March, April, a lot of that time there was very little PPE. Mm. Um, the guidance it was 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 not evolving quickly, and it it was a new, relatively unknown field anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think probably they were at least as much as at risk as we were, if not more. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Grim. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Happy days. Oh, yeah. have you been to Dars, the Indian place um, by the Royal Free? It's a really, no. good, really good Where's curry this? house. By the Royal Free. Um, we we go there if, if, if you're at um, Air Studios and sometimes... So if you come out of Air, which way do you go? Uh, you go down the hill towards the... Is that the hospital there? Uh, the the little, that really sharp hill. Yeah, you That one that goes down to Hampstead the Village. Yeah, yeah. 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 Bethlehem Park Station or Hampstead? I think it's Hampstead. Okay. The Station. Hampstead the overground. overground one. You know that very steep hill that goes past A&E? Yes, yeah. And then on the left, somewhere, somewhere there's a row of shops and then a place called Dars, and it's uh, really good. Don't know this. I'm going to find out about this. Yeah, yeah you, you should do. It's a, it's a place that... Um, Sometimes you, if you do like a morning session at air mm. and then the lads we're going to go to Dars in, in the hour break, you know, and then they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll text the guy that, that owns it, Amazing. the order, and you walk down there and it's all ready. Oh, what? so good. It's delicious. Aaron, you should be in there all the time. I didn't know about this. Uh, yeah, it's very, very good. Yeah. Right. That's great. Check it out. I'm yeah, going to find out. Thank you. My tip for uh, if you're in the area yeah, yeah, Dars. Yeah. This podcast was brought to you by Daz. Oh, imagine. That's who we need for some sponsorship. Yes, it is. Yeah, Yes, it is. Well done. (laughs) Um, And and also, are you still playing slash watching lots of cricket? You're a bit of a cricket fiend, aren't you? I have been. I haven't played at all this year, sadly. Um, There is an active, um, if not always successful, Musicians Cricket Association team. Is Um, there? Yeah. So... uh, don't know if you know the trombonist Tim Smart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think I've heard of this. He yeah. he runs that. Oh, okay. Um often captains it whilst So who do you play? Uh it's other other amateur teams. Right. Um mostly around London. Um occasionally beyond. Yeah. Um how do you fare? How do the musicians do? We, we sometimes win. Do you? <laughs> nice. That's great. I you're a spin bowler, aren't you? That's right, yeah. Hey, right. I remember that. Very good. Good facts, yeah. Did Phil great. Cooper do it? Does he play? Uh, we played against his team oh, last team. year. Ah. Yeah. What I, was his team? Who was he playing for then? I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I knew that he played, but it was the first, t- first time I'd seen him in about 10 years and the first time we'd met on a cricket field. It was really good oh. to see him. The thing with Bill is he's unnervingly fit because you you look <clears> at him, <throat> sorry, Bill, if you're listening, but um, <laughs> you look at him and think, right, he's probably... Not that fit. I ran the marathon with him and he's really quick. Really? And he'd lost his trainers in Russia the month before and yet he still beat me by 30 That's seconds. Fair. Wow. No, he was, he'd was. he found some new he ones by then. <laughs> he, he did it Barefo- barefoot. Barefoot and he still beat you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bill Cooper, if you don't know who that is, listener, That's uh, he He was until quite recently the, the Barmy Army trumpet player yeah. for, for the England cricket team. Mm-hmm. He used to go around to every test match all around the world. And really, was is like their twelfth man. Yeah, totally. Like genuinely, like th- there were some some results which 
probably wouldn't have gone a certain way if Bill hadn't have been there. You know, no. he, and he, he reckons he's played Jerusalem more than anyone in the world. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Very important man. We'd like to get him on this podcast. Yeah, we've tried. Want to come on. No, I tried him again this week and he, he uh, declined again. Oh, again? Yeah. He was on our, our little um, mm. Let Music Live roving <laughs> reporter one at the very end of that. He, yeah. If you listen to that, you'll hear a bit of Bill Cooper, but... We'll try come him on, again. Bill. Come, come on, Bill. Come on. Come <laughs> on. Do you not we'll think the time has come just to start doorstepping? Yes. That's what we did to you, Aaron. Keith Chegwin vibes. That's what we need. Just <laughs> yeah. turn up. Yeah. Dad's yeah. doorstep challenge. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice to chat to you, Aaron. Yeah, nice. thank you. Not at all. Pleasure. And now time to show you all my ailments. <laughs> <laughs> Helped. <laughs> Saroon. Thank oh. you. Isn't he interesting? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That brain surgery stuff. I mean, I had no idea that they would do it and you could be awake. Oh my God. I didn't know that the brain had no nerves in it. No. No. Amazing. I mean, I guess, I guess it's obvious, but. <laughs> But not really. No. But so many things we were asking him. As we were asking them, I was like, do I just sound like an utter moron? <laughs> Is that so obvious? Every All the listeners will know this. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and uh, check out Dars, the uh, fantastic <laughs> I put it house. in the show notes. Oh, and there's a link to Dars. Oh, yeah. oh good, good. <laughs> Dars, if you want to get in touch for sponsorship reasons, then please do. Yeah, food or money. Yeah. We take both. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, well, thanks, uh, thanks, Arun. And, uh, well, what, what should we talk about now, really? Well, I mean, what is there to talk about? I mean, what's going on in this world? What's the, the um, world? I know. What have you been doing this week? Mm, have this you managed week. to fend off the feelings of anxiety? Yeah. Good. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, I'm just kind of just living, living my little life now. <laughs> it is what it is, isn't life. it? I'm here in my... In my lounge with my my oven in the corner, <laughs> and uh, it's a very fancy oven. It looks like it's a good one. It's a Range Master yeah. Toledo, <laughs> gifted by my sister in law. Oh, because they were getting a new kitchen put in, so we've we've taken their old oven. It's pride of place, isn't it? Yeah, put my feet up on it at night. <laughs> Some people have a fireplace. Cook a cheese toasty. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, yeah, so there we go. So I'm here in my my little. This is my life. Welcome to my yeah. life. I've got a little tiny love there. Yeah. Um, let me just play oh. you a bit of the tiny love. You can. Um... How much? So if you can hear that. How much annoyance do you have from that sound already? Well, I I like it. I still like it. There's there's I think about four songs. It rotates through them. <laughs> and you know that thing like if you if you really love an album you listen to it so much you get to the end of a song and you can sing the next one like you know the yes yeah 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 so it's just like that so I'll it's just in your dreams it, yeah i mean it's catchy it is catchy <laughs> that was a seamless transition yeah. absolutely beautiful ages and then and my, my daughter loves it. And it's great. Plays Henry... it and so oh, I love it. Them. 
Henry used to have this bus, and the thing, it was a musical bus. Let's go! Da, 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 da. And um, I would always kick it when I was trying to back out of the room quietly at night after oh, I put no. him down to sleep, and it, would, and it was so loud. <laughs> oh, that bloody bus. <laughs> yeah. Um, what have you been doing this week? What have I been doing? I oh I played at Claridge's yesterday. Wow. That's lovely. I love Claridge's. So right. nice. We had to be masked up. It's the first gig I've actually done in a mask, which is quite weird actually. Yeah. You know, breathing's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> but it was lovely. I was nice to be back there. Yeah. Claridge's once. I took Charlotte there for an anniversary. Oh, afternoon tea or a no dinner. for dinner. Oh, how nice. Was that Gordon Ramsay's? No. Yeah. yeah. It's Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. And it was it's one of the last times we've been to a really expensive restaurant. Yeah. Um, I do want to go to more posh places. like like. Um, yeah, Eliza, Eliza was, was telling yeah. us. Mon- oh, Mondays I thought that. Tuesdays, is it? Or just Mondays? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, Cheap Michelin star restaurant. Oh, that sounds good. But yeah, I went to Claridge's um, and went to the toilet and coming out of the toilet. As I was going in, yes. Richard Branson. Get out. Yeah. Oh, that's what I told did you. Did you get out? Get out. It's my turn. Um, yeah. Did you make eye contact? Yeah, I think so. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, he hasn't actually got eyes. It's like, um, <laughs> it's just like an abyss. It's like his eyes are like oblivion. Dark, dark days in Claridge's. I think he gave me some anaesthetism. Um, oh, yeah. Suddenly I, I, I woke up and. Did you book flights and an international intergalactic? I was on a private island <laughs> in the middle of the, the Necker Island, is yeah. it? Yeah. And I'd, I, Charlotte was gone. I, I'd married someone else. <laughs> was it somebody it was called so Ned Rock and Roller? That's his Ned nephew, Rock, isn't that's it? Who I'd married, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was it an was interesting really time odd. in your life. That the bit. It was nearby. Lovely. <laughs> Very strange, but. Yeah, I recommend it though. Claridge's. Good, good. Yeah, so nice. Claridge's, if you want to sponsor the podcast, then please get in touch. Again, food or money. Yeah. Yeah, lovely. But um, that's been that really. I mean, uh, I don't think anything wildly untoward has happened. We've done lots of podcasting, haven't we? Yeah, we did. Um, yeah. Um, been good. So I hope you've had a good week, listener. Yeah. Uh, and, well, um, take care of yourself and each other. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next week for... A very exciting episode oh, with, yes. um, with someone who we've literally just interviewed. He's just left. He has just left. <laughs> uh, he was great. He was, I'll give you a clue, he's very tall, he looks incredible. Best body, yeah. uh, best we, body of all the guests we've had. I, I, I don't, don't know. Say that I mean, I don't want to, yeah, it's a great body, but let's not forget Hector. No, he he is a beautiful man. Yeah. Yeah. He is. Um, So you'll find out all about him next week on Three in a Bar. So uh, bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. I just remember that's been on this whole (laughs) time. I know. I was just thinking about letting it play out at the end. Just the sound of that.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.